Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning to all our guests as well. We are so glad you are here. This is a a special, uh, meaningful, and, and even very sobering day in the history of our country. 21 years ago, we all witnessed, and some of you were in person, some of you were actually there on the ground, but we all witnessed the terrorist attack on our nation that changed the trajectory of our country forever. I remember that day well. Janice and I were living in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was earning a master's degree in theology at Cincinnati Christian University. Janice was working full-time as a registered nurse, Drew, our oldest. He was seven months old. And that particular morning, Janice was at a ladies' Bible study at a church we attended. And I was home with Drew, and I was studying for school. And my dad called me, and he said, Matt, you have to turn on your television. We are under attack. And I turned on my television, and just as I was speculating that perhaps it was an accident, to which my dad said, no way, the second plane hit the tower, and that was the moment we all knew this changes everything. I just wonder how many of you could share some of your own personal stories, perhaps even of that day. I'm sure those of you who who were alive at the time remember it well, but, but maybe you have other this changes everything moments and not just negative or hurtful or scary or disappointing ones. You could probably share amazing experiences where you knew this changes everything. For one, uh, for me, one of them was March 17th. It was 1999, and that was the day I proposed to Janice. And I had just preached the Wednesday night chapel service at Ozark Christian College, after which I drove Janice out of Joplin into the rolling hills of southwest Missouri, and together we broke into an old lookout tower. Kids, don't try this at home. And we climbed 10 stories, 10 stories up the outdoor stairway, again, don't try this at home, to the top of this lookout tower, and there I took a knee and I washed Janice's feet, and while on my knee, I asked her to be my wife. She said yes, only had to ask once, but that was the moment I knew. This changes everything. And when Drew was born, and a few years later when Nathan was born, and a few years later when Jacob was born, each time I knew this changes everything. And then a year later, Ella was born, And I thought, this really changes everything. (laughs) In 2020, when it became clear we were living in a dangerous pandemic, facing a deadly new disease, disease in a disappointingly divided nation, we all started wondering, when will things go back to the way they used to be? Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years, and the optimistic outlook many of us started with turned into disappointment, and many of us faced fears and failures we'd never faced before, and in so many ways, at almost every turn, when we wanted the news to go one way, it went the other. Or when we wanted things to happen one way, they happened another. And sadly, things got really ugly really fast. 
Politicians got ugly, media pundits got ugly, citizens got ugly, our attitudes, our words, our behavior got ugly, and sadder still, many churchgoers got ugly too. And one of the many things we've learned in the past few years, as if we didn't already know, is that we don't react well when things don't go our way. We don't respond well to disappointment. And so I wonder, how do you react when things don't go your way? Right now, we're in a sermon series called High Wire. Tagline is Daring to Trust, and it's a series written by an organization called Orange that we're doing alongside of our children's ministry here at FCC. And the idea for the series is, if you are a high wire artist, you have to be daring. You have to be brave in a unique kind of way. You have to be willing to to take risks, even when your stomach is queasy and your knees are quaking. And the challenge for us today is that we would dare to trust God even in our disappointments. That's our big idea for today. Dare to trust God even in your disappointments. Now our theme verse for this entire series comes from Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, which says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Even in the this changes everything moments, he will make your paths straight. Even in the waiting, as we learned last week, he will make your paths straight. Even in the disappointments, he will make your paths straight when you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean on him. So who do you lean on when you're disappointed? When you get passed over for that promotion at work you work so desperately for? When you don't get the house you put a bid on? When your kids disappoint you? When your coworkers fail you? Who do you lean on when when you give in to that frustrating temptation yet? Again, when you get hurt by people who are supposed to support you. And how about for the students in the room today? Who do you lean on when your parents frustrate you? When you don't get into the college you had hoped for. When you get let down by people you look up to. Difficult situations occur unexpectedly all the time. And and when they happen, where do you go for support? Who do you trust with your disappointments? Is it your friends? Is it your family? Is it your small group at church? Do you trust God? Do you know what that looks like? It's easy to trust God when life is smooth, when you you get that promotion or you get into the college you'd hoped for or your medical tests come back with great results. It's, It's good and easy to trust God when life is good. But it's a much different story when you're facing a serious situation. Some of us may turn inward and retreat from others. Others may self medicate with sugar or alcohol or even drugs. Some of us may distract ourselves with busyness. 
But what does it look like to trust God in our disappointments? Now that is a big question. Thankfully, we have a big book in the Bible that is full of all sorts of writings and stories that demonstrate God's faithfulness. In the Bible, we find all kinds of stories from people who endured mountains and valleys, successes and failures, righteousness and sinfulness, and God was with them through it all. And they shared those stories by writing them down for us. They trusted God in the ups and downs, and God inspired them to write their stories so that we can learn to trust him too. And today we're gonna learn one such story, a small story, a simple story, maybe even an obscure story from the life of Isaac, whom we first introduced last week. And this story is found in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, God created an amazing world that sin entered the world when people turned away from him and they decided to do things their own way. And in response to people turning away from him in Genesis 3.15, God promised to save the world and to reconcile the world to himself. He promised that he had this plan for reconciliation and this plan would begin with a man named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verses one through four, it says, the Lord said to Abram, which is Abraham, go to your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And, and this is key, all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. God promised to bless the world through Abraham's descendants, which was code for God would save the world through Abraham's descendant, Jesus. Although Abraham had no children with his wife, Sarah, God poetically promised Abraham would have more descendants than all the stars in the heavens. And after waiting decades upon decades and miraculously in their very old age, God blessed Abraham and Sarah with their first and only biological child between them and their son Isaac. And we learned the story of Isaac's birth last week. Again, last week we discovered that we can trust God in the waiting. And this week we're discovering that we could trust God in our disappointments. And so today we're skipping from Isaac's birth to Isaac's adulthood. In Genesis chapter 26, Abraham and Sarah are both dead, and Isaac is a wealthy man, and he's living in the plains between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. And, and when Isaac planted crops, the, the story tells us that God blessed him by giving him this massive return. And so Isaac is wealthy, and in those days, of course, wealth was not determined by money or numbers in a bank account or investments in the stock market. Yes, they had silver and gold and precious metals, but more often wealth was determined by having lots of crops and lots of flocks and lots of herds and, and servants and yes, even slaves. And Isaac had plenty of the above. But to maintain his wealth, Isaac needed access to good, clean, fresh water. And because of his father Abraham before him and because of God's blessing on their family, Isaac had access to good, clean, fresh, safe water. He had access to these wells. And so everything was going great. The crops were abundant. The flocks were growing. Life was good. Even though Isaac shared this region of land with another immigrant tribe called the Philistines, life was good. Until it wasn't. 
And because of Isaac's growing wealth and a growing lack of water due to famine, the Philistines grew jealous and then hostile, and so the Philistines caved in Isaac's wells in order to drive him out of the land. Genesis 26, verses 12 through 16 says, Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and so many herds and so many servants, the Philistines envied him. And so all of the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. And then Abimelech, the Philistine king, said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. Now, we just learned that Isaac was wealthy, meaning he had a lot of assets, but also he had a lot of men who could fight for him. Remember, the king said Isaac had become too powerful. So Isaac could have stayed, and he could have put up a fight. He could have fought back. He could have fought the Philistines. But instead, Isaac picked up his stuff, his livestock, his people, everything, and he moved to the Valley of Gerar, where the first order of business was finding more water. And in fact, many years earlier, Abraham had dug wells in that valley too. But the wells in that valley had also been filled in by the Philistines, and so Isaac, with sweat and effort, reopened the old wells to find a fresh new water supply, and once again, after a disappointing season, life was good for Isaac. Until it wasn't. Genesis 26, 20. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with Isaac and said to him, this water is ours. And so he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Instead of fighting with him, Isaac once again trusted God to provide. He packed up his family and, and moved further down the valley to make another new home. And, and then life was good for Isaac. Until it wasn't. Genesis 26, 21, they, they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, and he named it Sitna. And I just wonder if you're seeing a pattern here. Every time Isaac thought his people, Isaac and his people thought they had found peace in a place they could call home problems came pouring in. And so instead of fighting, Isaac picked up everything and he moved yet again. Genesis 26, 22, he moved on from there and he dug another well and, and no one quarreled over it. And he named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Now, I know what you're expecting by now. You're expecting to happen again, Right? But this time they finally found a place where they could settle. And instead of the Philistines quarreling with them, they actually made a peace treaty together. Genesis 26, verses 26 through 30. Meanwhile, King Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his personal advisor and the commander of his forces. And Isaac asked him, why, why have you come to me since you are so hostile to me and you sent me away? And they answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. And so we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a, a treaty with you so that you will do us no harm just as we did not harm you. Hmm. But always treated you well. Oh, really? And sent you away peacefully. Okay. And now you're blessed by the Lord. It's almost like they're taking credit for it. But then Isaac made a feast for them and they ate and they drank and early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other and then Isaac sent them on their way and, and they went away peacefully. In summary, and maybe you can relate, 
There was a season of life for Isaac when things were thriving. The crops were growing, the the herds and the livestock were reproducing, the neighbors were peaceful, life was great. Until it wasn't. And three different times, Isaac was forced to pack up his family and everything he owned and move to a new land. Three times he could have fought back. But instead, he did not take things into his own hands. He simply trusted God to work things out. And this story reminds us to trust God, that we can trust in God, that he is trustworthy even in our greatest difficulties, even in our most disappointing seasons. This story reminds us that just as God made peace for Isaac, despite his many disappointments, God will do the same for us. He will bring us peace. But I think the question is, what do we do with our disappointments while we are trusting God to bring us peace in the future when we are in this space where we're struggling? How do we move forward in a healthy way emotionally and spiritually when we are living in or perhaps feel like we are stuck in one of those disappointing seasons of life? Well, five things, perhaps you take notes, five things here they are, here's the first thing. Here's how we move forward in those seasons of disappointment. Number one, feel your feelings. Feel your feelings, don't ignore your feelings. Too often as Christians, we ignore our feelings. We don't trust our feelings, we don't listen to our feelings. In fact, we often, and we spiritualize this, but we often suppress our feelings when in fact God designed us to be feeling people. Feelings are a gift from God. It's part of his grand design. We've learned in past sermons that our feelings are like the check engine lights on the dashboard of our cars. They tell us when something is wrong. They say, you better get this checked out before the problem gets worse. But we also know from our feelings that our feelings aren't always correct. We know that sometimes our feelings can lead us astray, and so we have to filter our feelings through truth and reality, but still, we need to feel them. Now, throughout the Bible, we see some of the most amazing leaders in Scripture. They're feeling their feelings. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, and he wrote an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations, where he lamented, where he grieved, where he felt his feelings. A couple of weeks ago, we saw how Elijah felt lonely, that that he was all alone, he thought, as a prophet. And he cried out to God. He said, I'm all alone. I'm the only prophet left in all of Israel, which was not true at all. But that's how he felt in the moment. He was feeling his feelings. If you are in a season of frustration, let yourself feel it. Don't ignore it. If you're feeling depression, let yourself feel it. If you're feeling disappointment, let yourself feel it. If you are grieving, allow yourself to grieve. If you've been hurt, allow yourself to feel that pain. Undiscerned, unexpressed, unnamed, unfelt emotions do so much damage, both now and in the future. Damage to our bodies, damage to our minds, to our spirit, into our relationships. God designed us to feel. If you're disappointed, allow yourself to feel it. Number two, name your reasons. And this is when you attach a why to your feelings. Why am I feeling frustration? 
Why am I feeling hurt? Why am I feeling depression? Why am I grieving? Why am I feeling disappointment? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And you can only ask that question if you actually allow yourself to feel the feelings. Do I have unmet expectations, expectations of myself, expectations of others, expectations of God? Do I have unfair expectations of myself or others that can't possibly be met? Am I expecting God to do something that he never said or promised he would do? Has someone hurt me? Has someone wronged me? Have I been treated unjustly? Have I made some really bad decisions hurting myself and my loved ones? And this is how we get honest about our feelings, even if in the moment it can feel like it's causing us more pain and more frustration. Feel your feelings so that you can start naming the reasons for your frustrations. And then after feeling them, share them. And that's number three, share your frustrations. Just like Elijah shared his frustrations with God and then he shared them with his protege, Elijah, so that he didn't have to carry them all alone. So often we, as a very independent-minded people, we think the strongest of us can, can carry our feelings and our frustrations alone. It's not actually true. The strongest of us can feel our feelings and share them with others, which is actually what brings healing. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. When we share our struggles, whether it's our sins or the sins committed against us, when we share our struggles, it heals us. When we share our frustrations, whether it's our failures or just our feelings, it's healing. And oh, by the way, this is why it is so crucial, so important to have an authentic community of close friends who share our faith so that we can have safe people we can confess to and be prayed for and find healing. We need an authentic faith community to share our struggles. But we also need an authentic faith community where we can, and this is number four, seek wise counsel. And the truth is, we all have blind spots. You know that, right? We all have blind spots. And sometimes our feelings don't square with reality. And sometimes our feelings will, as we just mentioned, sometimes our feelings will lead us astray and we can be rather blind when our feelings are overpowering us. And so we need people in our life who have permission to speak truth to us can help us discern the right way forward. I imagine Isaac had wise counsel. I think there were people speaking to Isaac saying, you know what, don't fight the Philistines. It's not worth it. The cost, even in victory, would be, be too great. Isaac, let's just, let's pack up. Let's find new wells. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, plans fail for lack of counsel. With many advisors, they succeed. If you're down, if you're depressed, if you're frustrated, disappointed, perhaps you're grieving, talk to someone you trust. If you need to make decisions in those moments, seek wise counsel first. And then here's the last thing, and I think this is the most important thing. Honor God no matter what. That's number five. Honor God no matter what. Whatever is happening in your life, a season of success or season of failure, season of high, season of low, are you in, on the mountain or are you in the valley? Maybe you're thriving, maybe, maybe you're barely surviving. Honor God no matter what. 
King Solomon uh, was a man who famously tried, I mean, everything. He tried everything. The book of Ecclesiastes catalogs everything Solomon did to find happiness, to pursue happiness. And in Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse 10, Solomon even confessed, and I would say, yes, this is definitely a confession. He said, and think about the implications of this phrase. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Whoa. I refused my heart no pleasure. What are we thinking here? Just read the text. Alcohol, feasts, sexual relationships with many people. He built cities, he built businesses, he planted gardens, he raised up orchards, he acquired land and animals and extraordinary wealth. He even enslaved people, which was a sign of power in those days. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't honor God. Or he wouldn't have done many of those things. And where do you think his pursuit of unadulterated pleasure got him? Think it got him happiness? In Ecclesiastes 2.17, he said, I hated my life. He was so disappointed. And in his case, it was his own fault, by the way. But he was so disappointed that he went on to say in verse 17, everything under the sun just grieved me. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it fleshes out all of Solomon's disappointments and then it concludes with this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now, what does he say there? Well, essentially, he says, honor God no matter what. Wherever you've been, honor God no matter what. Wherever you are, honor God. No matter what, wherever you are going, honor God no matter what. Whatever you have been through, honor God no matter what. Whatever kind of mountain you're sitting on, honor God no matter what. No matter what kind of valley you've fallen in, honor God no matter what. However you succeeded, however you failed, honor God no matter what. Are you happy? Honor God no matter what. Are you grieving? Honor God no matter what. Are you disillusioned and disappointed? Frustrated, honor God no matter what. From this moment forward, honor God no matter what. Feel your feelings, name your reasons, share your frustrations, seek wise counsel, and honor God no matter what. That's how you trust God in the disappointments. Let's pray. God in heaven, help us to trust in you to bring us through anything and everything we're going through. And help us to honor you, no matter what. Just as Jesus did, even going to the cross. We pray in his name. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. 
If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.